Hey, Carm here with the Town Hall Academy, where we look at supplier loyalty from the supplier's perspective. We're talking relationship, trust, and of course, loyalty, among others. In a bit, you'll enjoy a very transparent discussion with an important part of our aftermarket's distribution system. Now, here's a taste. Because you have to have professional staff. That's what separates us from our competition, is our people, and our people create that trust. And those guys, when they have an issue, they want to call them and go, well, what's wrong with this thing? Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, how are you? So glad to welcome you to Academy Episode 97. And we're talking service professional loyalty from a supplier's perspective. Now, trust me, you'll want to listen to this one because, as you know, the service professional and the supplier are partners in each other's success. And we drill down. You get these aftermarket long-form audio gems because great aftermarket companies support the show. Carm Capriato here, thanking Jasper Engines and Transmissions for their support of the Town Hall Academy. Here are important facts about Jasper. They have over 2,000 associates, three manufacturing facilities, two distribution centers, and 45 branch offices across the country. Now, they're all working to produce, transport, and deliver the perfect product. And that's what they do best at Jasper. They keep customers happy so you can. Hey, also, did you know that engaging with customers away from the shop is important to your retention rate? And that's why RepairPal provides consumer-facing articles to you to use in newsletters and online. Learn more at RepairPal.com slash shops. Hey, and don't forget that my guest's bios in the episode's key talking points, and there's a lot of them, are found at RemarkableResults.biz slash A097. Hey, there's podcast swag up for grabs and a special listener contest. Yes, a collectible coffee mug and mouse pad in December 2018. Get to RemarkableResults.biz slash swag to enter the random drawing. During the episode, I'll give you the password for December 2018. Hey, please check out the books page on the website. I'm always adding to it, and these are the books that my guests talk about in their interviews. Remember, leaders are readers, and you'll be better for it. Hey, if you're a service professional, you have a supplier, and most likely have a great relationship with your number one call because they are a supply partner with and for you. A lot of your success comes from your supplier, providing you the parts and service you need to keep your customers happy and coming back. With me in this episode is Brad Hartline from Hyde Villa Auto Parts and Pottsville Auto Parts in the Reading, PA markets, and Trevor Martin, President Vaca Valley Auto Parts in Fairfield, California, and also Mark Stablefelt is with us from Fairfax Auto Parts. We covered a lot of ground, and I'm confident you'll receive a few important knowledge points from these suppliers who are talking about the importance of a quality relationship with the service professional. So much to learn here. Now enjoy. Let me start with you, Trevor. I, I really want to start this dialogue. By the way, chime in anytime anybody's got anything to say, because I usually do. Okay. You got it. You got it. <laughs> so, Trevor, where? where you know, we we're talking about loyalty. Where does it start? You know, it's a, it's a broad question. Um, I think for us, loyalty starts with relationships and our people. Um, people are the key that start all the things that we're going to talk about today. Um, one of the big things is your asset, which is inventory, right? So if you don't have the inventory, then you're probably not going to get the call, which goes to your people. Um, the, the second biggest thing 
is service. And with that service comes back to your people. Um, you have to have a hotshot delivery today. You have to be able to answer the phone with uh, professional, knowledgeable staff. You have to have an e-commerce platform that you know the installer prefers or or goes to. And I think all of these things start with that with that loyalty. Um, price is definitely in there. If you're not uh, priced correctly on your inventory, then you may not get that next call. But I think all these are the important starting points of, of what we're talking about today and that loyalty. You brought up such uh, a huge topic. You brought up the word price. Correct. Can, can I just jump into that? Not that I think it's sure. really high on the list, but the, the discussion point I believe that's important is the word transparency of pricing. It seems to me that a a shop customer can leave the shop, run his request on the internet and find out what the part costs in e-com. And that's correct. And I, and I think today the biggest thing with your e-com and price is you have to be within a percentage of everybody. In today's internet world, we can all be minimized seven deep on whatever your supplier is, Amazon, eBay. Um, so we're all faced with that challenge of being cross compared to our competitors or otherwise. So price isn't the ultimate, but if you're a 40 to 50% higher than your next guy, you're probably going to get the call on that piece. So I think while it's not the defining uh, reason they're going to call, I think it's something that we all consider and that we all have to uh, be within a percentage of each other to to play in that market. Listen, you guys are talking about this at your meetings. I, you're talking about this in your own groups. You know, tell me what you're saying because there's this gap between price and value, that perceived value that someone is getting for their price. I think what we hear is that you need to be competitive. And I think Trevor hit it. You need to be within a certain range. And if you get within that range and you provide the services necessary, you're going to begin to develop the loyalty that we're trying to all get with our customers. Um, communication is the key. We get a lot of good feedback from customers. I think everybody has those customers that they can talk to kind of intimately and they'll give you information. Customers are fairly open for the most part. Um, a good outside salesperson will also gather up good information for you, uh, whether it's, I shouldn't say this, but above board or below board, they'll find things sometimes that uh, will help us get information and gather it. And, and we can address it and, and be appropriately priced and service our customers appropriately. You just said a mouthful. I mean, really big. And, and, and one of the things you said is to talk about that. Yeah. So are you finding, all three of you, are you finding that the service professional has no problem picking up the phone and calling you as the CEOs of your company or, or communicating with the sales manager, the store manager? Hey, I just want to let you know this happened. I need to let you know this is going on. I need to let you know. Do you have that relationship? Yeah, most of our customers aren't shy. <laughs> they're, they're fairly vocal and they'll, they'll often tell you, I mean, the ones that don't call are the ones you find out over time have gone away. And then you, you know, you have to address a problem if they're going away, but the most of them will call you and say, Hey, you know, I just, I was just on the internet and this thing's $10 cheaper than you are. What, what's going on? And you'd have a reason or you don't. And uh, sometimes the reason's internal. Sometimes it's an external factor, but uh, they generally will talk to us. How many calls like that a day do you get? I don't know if it's daily, but it's weekly for sure. I just finished a call about an hour ago with a customer addressing a pricing issue. Yeah, and I would agree with that same thing, Carm. Is it's uh, it's it's not a daily thing, but it is a weekly. And those relationships are the you know we talked about a minute ago. That's the important part is to have that relationship, and your customers will share that with you um, if you have a personal touch with them. 
Mark, do you find that those customers would bolt if they don't get a good answer from you? I think uh, if I can kind of switch gears a little bit, one thing that, that customers mention and bring up routinely is warranty. What's your warranty? What's your warranty policy? What's your labor claim policy? And I think what they're, what they're really asking is help me with the complexity of repairs and where we as suppliers see an op- should see an opportunity is through training with the parts pro- proliferation. Of course, say that quickly a couple of times. Sure. Parts proliferation, the complexity of repairs. Uh, we as suppliers need to need to make sure that we are engaging with our with our shop wholesale customers and doing whatever we can to bring them into training because uh, pricing really is even on the list you sent out uh, car earlier uh, yesterday, pricing is probably fifth or sixth on, on the list. Customers bring up pricing, but it's the vehicle that they're using to, to, to say, Hey, help. They're opening up the dialogue by saying, listen, there's a $10 bill issue here, but uh, hey, can you help me on a warranty problem that I have? It's the whole package. And I think that's really what Mark's saying. It's, it's more than pricing. It's, it's the whole package. What do you offer in services in a complete way, not just here's my price. It's how do you service them? What kind of product do you distribute to them? How do you handle warranties and returns? All the things that go together that make a customer hopefully a happy customer. Yeah, exactly. I think it's all the things we have all in our toolboxes, whether you're, you know, a Napa Federated, whatever your affiliation is, we all have these things in our toolbox. And that may be training, that may be warranty, that may be um, extra um, sites as far as um, internet sites, uh, labor, those type of things. And all those are important to the customer's um, loyalty. But what Mark was talking about as far as the training, I think it's hugely important. And I think everybody um, would agree the shops need that training and for us to be able to provide that helps all of us um, connecting with the customer, learning about the products, warranties. Um, it just is a great pullback and a good, good tie through. Mm-hmm. So. I'm with Ron Haugen of Westside Auto Pros. Hey, Ron, why purchase a Jasper engine for your customer's car? Uh, the, the main reason we use Jasper is, is they're known for quality and we're known for quality. They line up with my company and my company's commitment to our customers uh, you know, as a product. They're committed to me. Hey, Ron, are customers investing in their vehicle today? Absolutely. You, you know, we, we see the surveys from, from AAA and, and, and all the different people out there where the average age of a car on the road is 11 years old. Some are even saying 12 now. Uh, when you think about that, for every new car sold, that means there's a 22-year-old car being driven on a daily basis. To me, that's amazing. Uh, the only way we get an average age of a vehicle on the road like that is because people are reinvesting in a car. And, and I think the reason they're reinvesting in a car is, is the cost of a car. I mean, cars are thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. You know, why not drop four, five, six, eight thousand dollars into repowering the vehicle and get it back on the road? Hey Ron, thanks for your insights on Jasper. Thanks for asking. Hey, Carm here, and I'm with Repair Pale Certified Shop Owner David Johnson of DJ Auto in Provo, Utah. Hi, David. Hello, Carm. David, do you see value from Partner and the tow programs? We see tows coming in. We see the calls coming in. They're able to let us know who it is, and so the value is is not only predictable but uh, accountable. Uh, we also have the partnership with them through USAA, through uh, CarMax, which has been sending us a ton of business. 
David, would you recommend RepairPal to a friend? Of course. Yeah, we have uh, several repair pal shops in our within a mile's range of me, and all it can do is lift our industry. It, it gets everyone on the same page. Uh, it helps us to define who we are, what we offer, and it gives the uh, the consumer the ability to be able to correlate with that, to say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's what everyone's saying, and so I'm more comfortable now pulling the trigger on something that I may not have known had much information from before and thought I could get different answers from different places. So it's, it's a place where everything comes together and it's, it, it helps our industry. Hey, Carm here, stopping for just a minute to remind you to get in on the December swag drawing. Get a collector's coffee mug and a mouse pad from the show. The password is wisdom. Go to remarkableresults.biz slash swag to enter. There were three winners in November 2018, so get in to get your chance. I do want to drill down on training. A friend of mine, Tom Ham from Automotive Management Network, uh, I was speaking to him earlier in the week, and I said, I'm doing the show Friday on supplier loyalty. And he goes, we've never done a survey like that. So I sent him up, uh, you know, 30 key tactical bullet points, if you will. And training was way down the bottom of the list, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he only had it out for a couple of days, but I was surprised to see it so low. So in, in all of my historical background in the industry training was like number one or two that I could do for my my customer and do you find that is still the strong value connection karma I think uh, it's always challenging to get when a when a supplier sponsors training to get technicians shop owners to attend once they do attend for the first time they kick themselves and and we'll, we'll say, why didn't I attend these classes, you know, years ago that you sponsored? But wait a minute, Mark, you're, you're, you're explain, explain this to me. Your, your top customers are always there. Am I right? And what you're saying is I'm really trying to, to help the rest of the industry that doesn't want to pay attention to this. I, I think on top customers might send a person or two or three, but if it's a multiple location shop, that's a top customer. It can be a struggle at times to get a decent turnout. Or they might send their beginning texts, but not their their A texts or their leading texts. And um, I think on your on the the point that or the the survey that you mentioned, Carm, from Tom Ham, bullet point number two is from the the shops is warranty warranty above and beyond. I think to me that should be a semicolon training. Right. Mm. I know they should go hand in hand. You're right. And, and, and I think. Technicians are tasked with fixing a car that, that's not running properly, so they need to be confident in their diagnoses. But I think so. I think that the true the the, the true uh, uh, explanation of confidence should should be, I know this, but I don't know this. But I think sometimes that confidence tends to to err on the side of arrogance, and especially the 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 techs that are the the most seasoned or the most experienced based on years in the business tend to tend to resist new ideas new thoughts and training in particular they they tend to be a, a real struggle I, I think that's a it's an opportunity that that for us can help differentiate us as NAP suppliers us as federated suppliers versus some of the e-commerce sites like Rock Auto and even some of the Amazon that's trying to crowd into our business and trying to make everything a dollar and cent transaction. I think it's also a matter of, of the perspective. We're seeing a whole plethora of customers and you kind of get a feel for 
who the technologically savvy customers are and those who really could use the help. And as much as you try and guide them towards the training, you're not always going to get them there. I think the perspective is different. We see a whole bunch of customers and we kind of know or think we know uh, what their abilities might be. And we try to bring those that we think needed into the fold for training. And unfortunately, and you touched on this, they're oftentimes the least likely to take us up on the training. Uh, we do get the repeat customers uh, at the clinics. Almost always there's a core group that come to everyone. They, they want to learn. They want to know what, the, what to do with those vehicles. And it's kind of unfortunate. And I think we're seeing a separation in the top tier customers and other customers, those that aren't going to keep up with technology. And I'm not sure what their survivability is going forward. Agreed. And I think that, you know, part of it is our job as suppliers is to supply them with the tools, right? So if we have an online course or a group academy, or if we have a training facility, not all are going to attend our classes. I think we've all experienced, we, you know, support a class and you might have 40 one night and you might have eight and next, but at least during those times, those eight that are coming are generally the ones that are always coming. But now with today's technology, like we're all videoing today, guys are being trained from home. So sometimes we're judging that they don't come to our, our class, but yet they are being trained at home. So it is a very important topic. And I think that as we all say on that subject of training, it's just a great way for that loyalty. And we're just building better um, relationships and customers and, and helping our industry. Do you see a correlation between warranty rate and training? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Depends on product line. Yes. I bring that up because I think our industry needs to know, the service professional needs to know that they've got suppliers have statistics on you. And if you're going to ever sit down with them and say, how's our relationship? What can we do better? Reaching out in the partnership realm, it wouldn't be too bad for you to bring your new return rate and your warranty return rate to the customer and say... He should maybe maybe the service professional should be asking for it because if he's working on his business and not in it, he may not be paying attention to everything that's going on, comebacks and the warranty issue. And, you know, that that to me sends a signal about making change inside the I mean, you know, you can you can you can beat up on a manufacturer because their products are no good. But I don't necessarily think that's that's a great indicator. That's not, it's not something to put on the shelf and say, well, ignore my warranty return. Right. It's all about blank. It's not. Yeah, correct. Mm -hmm. Have you ever done that? Not that I'm admitting to. <laughs> <laughs> we all hesitated like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Dead silence. <laughs> like, uh. Speaking as, as a former manufacturer's rep, true warranty defect products is probably 1% or 2%, maybe 3% on the high side of true actual defect to product. The rest is either inst installed wrong or something else that's within the system that was not up to par. And I think we as, as suppliers, one of the, the big successes as a, as a vendor to Napa, taking a potentially ugly warranty, quote, bad part situation at an installer, using that opportunity as a, as a training session quickly in a shop, uh, we can turn that relationship around. And, and at the same time, I think plant the seed for, future trainings at that supporting uh, jobbing group. I mean, that's, that's a real, a huge opportunity. And, and uh, karma on your list of being number two with warranty of above and beyond. I think that that's where we as suppliers really need to, to push the training. And as my previous, previous life as a vendor to Napa, that's where I really would, would push the training, push it hard. I think the other thing that's overlooked sometimes, and, and I try to uh, make sure our counter people are all fully aware what they can 
tell customers to give them help is the technical assist lines that we have from all of our manufacturers. We have some really excellent technical assist lines. And if a customer is having a problem or calling up or they're having you know, the third starters gone bad, which we all know is kind of one of those unlikely scenarios, give them that hotline number. Let them get some technical help from the manufacturer. And sometimes you get the feedback that, man, they were great. They just really got me out of trouble. I figured out what the problem was with their help. And it makes us look good. It makes the manufacturer certainly look better than the junk they're selling. Uh, so the customer can get help in more ways than just through a, a formal training session. They can also get help directly to the, from the manufacturers. Guys, this is perfect. This is exactly where I wanted this to go. And because of where we're talking about this now, I want to dive in a little deeper about the relationship that you have with the service professional. And you all said, hey, listen, we'll sit down, we'll, we'll, we'll chat about business, we'll get the occasional phone call. Does the service professional understand and know the challenges that you have in dealing with warranty and the the escalation of inventory on your shelf, you know, because the new parts come back, what it really takes to find the right, you know, categories and part numbers and the cost of inventory and our slim bottom lines. And I'm not I'm not trying to be a crybaby here, but mm-hmm. every in every business, your salespeople, you have to understand the service professional's needs and challenges and they need to know yours. Is there any of that going on? Yeah, there is. Um, in, in our case, uh, we have auto cares that belong to a business development group. And that group is a fairly intimate group. Um, we have meetings about every other month. We talk about a whole lot of topics. It's, it's fairly casual. Our organization is fairly casual. And, and uh, we share a lot of information. And I, I often tell them what some of our struggles are at the store side. Um, and they're really interested in knowing. And in fact, they're, they're very helpful and, and more understanding uh, after you discuss those things. But I think that's a tiny fraction of our customer base that really has an understanding of what we go through as businesses. Uh, we think we know what they go through and we re- really probably don't know all that we should about what they do as well. But they, they, for the most part, customers don't know what our struggles are. Yeah, I, I would agree with Brad is that the top shops and we all have those relationships, they understand a lot of the business um, challenges that we all face. And others really probably don't care. They're just wanting mm-hmm. to run their own business and, and go out throughout their day. Um, but I think it's a, it's a great topic that you had, Brad, about getting you know the folks together. And I think all of us do that in some capacity. Um, but I, also with Brad's point is that we don't understand some of their challenges. And like today, we'll probably get some pretty good feedback, but <laughs> we think might be important, right? And yeah. that they tell us that it, it might be a little bit different important. But I think the biggest challenges that we all face today, one, is parts proliferation and availability. Whether you have 2 million or, you know, 100 million, it seems that um, you can never always have the right thing on the shelf. So you have to have that number one thing on your list that you put out there, Cam, was parts availability. Um, And that definitely creates a loyalty, whether you're online or Mm -hmm. whether you're in the shops. And and that creates a challenge for all of us because whether you're Napa or Federated or, or our other competitors, um, the challenge is having the right part when they call at, at, at a fair acquisition. So um, the warranty and the training and all those things are important. But at that list starts with that availability. Yep. And knowing our challenges, that faces a lot of challenges in in the investments, in the returns. Sure. Uh, whether we're being challenged from multiple ordering, we, we all share some customers that may do that. They're trying to test our delivery. Um, that part comes back the next day. We've always reordered that part. It's come in. We all face these challenges in the industry. Um, just some of those things, I think that a lot of our customers probably don't understand what, what we deal with in, in a day-to-day. I always call that inventory creep. 
And sometimes oh, yeah. if, if you ran a report on that, you'd realize you probably have five figures worth of inventory creep laying around yep. because you, you bought it back the next day. And it, and it or the next week. Yeah. And it, or the next month. Yeah. And it, <laughs> it depends. Yeah. Or the next hour. Yeah. yeah. And, and so yeah. my question is, if I was a service professional, I would say, hey, guys, uh, is there a printing press in the back that continues to print <laughs> money for you so that you can keep having the part on the shelf for me? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and the, internet, the internet ties right into that. Uh, our, one of our strong suits, I think, surviving in this industry is having inventory and the timeliness of which we can get inventory. The internet is not a local brick and mortar. They can't deliver within 20 minutes or half an hour, an hour, depending where your customer might be. They may be same day in some instances. That's still a little rare. It's getting better for them, but a little rare. But most of them are next day at best, maybe a couple of days. And I think that's, that's one of the saving graces for the, the brick and mortar parts stores. Um, they demand such speed for delivery, especially for routine things. We're not going to go away too soon because of that. I think that's a little bit of an insulation for us that uh, we have survivability and, and the customers recognize that. And they may have to pay a, b- a bit more for that, but they got a car on the rack. They got to get off the rack and they're not going to wait a day to do that. He brings up such a good point, the survivability. So put your thinking cap on 10 years. Survivability, what's it going to look like? You know, Less I, of us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in consolidation like the rest yeah. of the country and all of the things, right? Um, yeah. I think that's a tough question, but I think it still starts back to when, uh, you know, our folks started. It's still about availability, price, and service. Um, and as long as we can maintain that and take care of our customers, I think survivability is good. If you go out to the streets and look at cars, there's a ton of them. Yeah. Um, and you just got to service your customer and have the availability and and obviously, the consolidation may you be a part of somebody. Independence may be a little tougher, but um, as Mark and Brad with Napa or us with Federated, that tie makes us stronger as a whole. And same with the installer. I think we'll see that in the next 10 years. There's a lot more group affiliations as we see today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all those ties will make us stronger. I agree with that. The wild card is, is uh, the vehicles that may be around in 10 or 15 or 20 years. And if we're, if we're, if we're truly looking at the electrification of the automobile, that has a significant impact on what we sell. I was just I was just talking to one of my my coworkers a couple of days ago about what product lines are not on electrical vehicles. Your tune-up is gone. Your filters are gone. Fluids are gone. That takes a chunk of sales out of any parts store. Sure. So at some point there's 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 a curve. At some point, if electrical vehicles continue on the path they are of growth, and I mean they're they're small yet, but they're getting there. Uh, we could see a significant change probably 10, 15 years down the road where it's going to make a big dent in what we sell. And how many of you are out there and how long it takes to get the part and all of those dynamics that we value today, uh, there will be a paradigm shift, no doubt. Agreed. I just think it also depends on your widget. So with the electric vehicle, those widgets are going to change. It may not be an oil filter, it may not be a piece, but it's going to be an electric motor. Every vehicle is going to have 500 sensors now to be able to mm-hmm. stop in front of you or whatever. So right. I agree, and your, your maintenance items may deplete, but some of your other widgets may grow, and, and your average ticket sale may be a lot higher as well. So right. Definitely well, and, some challenges, but... And, and I think, Trevor, to, to, to keep going on, on the electric side, I think those, just as, as our installers look, to us as suppliers to keep pace. I think we as suppliers with our outside sales teams that call in these shops, we need to look at which shops are continually investing in the technology to keep their business going as a going concern. We've all seen shops that that maybe the owner is getting a little closer to retirement, so they're not investing in, in the, 
the new scan tools or the new diagnostic tools. So that's something that we as suppliers need to be aware of as well. And I think you'll see some either consolidation or more than likely some some shop closures uh, as we fast forward 10, 15, 20 years down the road. I'm so glad you brought that up, Mark. I was about ready to ask you about sales sales representative relationships with the service professional. Uh, a couple of questions that I have. Is it getting tougher to find really good salespeople to put into the field to call on your customers? What tasks are they doing today if they're not checking inventory, if they're not stocking a lot of inventory? And what else can the sales professional do for the service professional? But I think, Carmi, you hit on it where there's there are many, there are much fewer shops stocking essentials as they used to do 20 years ago. So as, as a salesperson on the road calling on these shops, we are more of a problem solver, relationship builder, and addressing warranty and try, trying our best to get involved in, in training and to a big, to a big portion, to big step, helping them manage their business as opposed to going in and doing order taking, which we used to do years ago. And that was enough. And to Mark's point, I, I think that, you know, our, our sales managers today and, and um, she had told me we have, we don't have a hard time finding good sales associations or outside sales. Um, we've been blessed with the long term of that. So I think the change in what her job has been today is building that trust and that trust encompasses a lot of different things. Um, may not be writing stock orders, but you're in there making the relationships, understanding their needs, understanding what parts may be failing, maybe giving us feedback. Maybe there is a vendor that is having some issues. Um, collections, unfortunately, that's that's part of the issue today as well. But um, there's a lot of different things that happen during that transaction. And it's just trust. That's the biggest thing. Okay, I get it's it. Trust. Now, uh, I have a very interesting question about training and managing a service professional's training program. It's almost like, walk is, listen, I'm, I'm from Vaca Valley Auto Parts. Well, I'm sorry. You know me. I'm your friend. I'm your supplier. Yep. I've got something brand new. Here's, here's the training for the whole year. Here's what I know you've done. Here's who's certified. Here's who's not. Here's your warranty issues. Let me help you design and create your training program for 2019. Is that what you're all doing now? Well, for, for, for some of our customers, yes. Uh, the, the, the specific training, the auto tech training courses that we provide, I go to my, my auto care centers and I ask them to choose what they want to be trained on. So they actually pick the, the courses that we are going to present in 2019. We, we just finished our selection process and I submitted them. So they're going to see the training that they've asked for. So they're telling me what they want uh, based on what they think their needs are and we're providing that for them. So we're giving them the, the, the input. Now, we can't do that across the border. We'd have 30 different opinions from 30 different shops. But the, the auto care guys can kind of guide what they want as far as training. And I think what they want is probably what everybody else needs as well. So they'll coattail along with those, with those training modules. I'll have to echo what, what Brad is saying. We do the same thing at Fairfax Auto Parts. We have nine outside salespeople. And um, they canvas their top customers select the training, have their customers select training and uh, submit it. And I believe uh, we're just, we're submitting ours as well another week or so for 2019. And we have the same basic uh, philosophy is we have different manufacturers that present us their, um, their mapping for the calendar year. And we choose those classes and set it up. And then we'll host at our own training facility here, classes on site. 
But then we also have a training academy, which we release out at the year to say, hey, if you want to sign up online, here is your mm -hmm. format um, for that. So. Is it worth keeping a resume on every tech that you do business with? And, and literally, I mean, I, I know the certificates are on the wall or in the drawer somewhere, but if there's value in the relationship and, and warranty and they're so important, would it be, you know, uh, training? Uh, I let Trevor worry about that. Ooh, that's exactly what you wanted to hear, right? I let them worry about I, I want Mark to worry about that. I guess my question is, what use is that information to us? I mean, other than yeah. other than maybe being able to formulate training for because them. you're a training partner. And, and okay. what you're doing is you're having a KPI on it. Your KPI is, listen, uh, you know, we trained X amount of hours in this many classes with and for you this year. Uh, we're, here's, here's 2019, here's 2020's training. And it's the home for training. As a supplier, you're the home, you're the repository, you're the magnet for training. And, and that ends up becoming a part and parcel to the value for the price that they're paying oh, sure. for yeah. you. I mean, in our market, we are, we're the only consistent training entity, period. There's nobody else there. There's nobody else doing it. AutoZone Advanced have no programs. Um, the internet has no programs. There's not really much out there unless you find an independent training facility of some sort. And so that $10 issue you had at the top of the hour, <laughs> is that, uh, listen, you know, you know, um, training priceless. I know you're paying for it, but it's priceless. The $10 yeah. bill shouldn't be a factor here. Correct. Yeah. And I would say that's still the case in a 30%, not to put a percentage on it, but there's still a lot of our shops today that may not be interested in training and, and they're still going to shop you regardless. So, but I think it's a, definitely an added tool to your toolbox that we have to provide to all the installers, but it's not definitely the defining factor. Thanks guys. Um, what trends do you see happening out at the service professional level? On the service professional level, I think that one big trend is finding qualified techs. That's a huge scramble, not just for the independent repair shops, but even for the dealerships. And on that same tack on dealerships, um, I see a, a Ford garage now advertising repairing all makes all models. Honda repair all makes all models. So there, there's, there's a lot of co-mingling even on the OEM dealership side. So struggling to find technicians and at that same time uh, shops or dealerships that may be focused just on Hondas, just on Totas, just on Nissans, they're now repairing everything. You know, and that's a good point, Mark, because in our market, it's the same thing. I think that's our number one thing that back to our sales teams that are hearing is that where can I get people? And even if it's trainable people, it just seems that um, it's a hard, hard thing to get the younger youth or maybe even the mid mid-grade age coming in that want to go into repair. And it's a challenge. I think we've all talked, I heard you mentioned, I think, Carm, you were on a, a community college um, advisory board. Um, you know, in our local market, we've tried to partner with those folks and, and try to educate others that the availability of what's in the automotive aftermarket, whether it's in supply or in the shop. Um, and I'm not sure what the answer is. I think it's an industry-wide thing with Yang and all of the others in the Auto Care Association are really pushing towards that. Um, but I agree that's, that is definitely a big trend and it's a, it's an issue for all of us. Agree, Brad. Oh, absolutely. Even in our stores, you know, it's, it's more difficult today than ever to, to find qualified people that want to work. So, uh, all three of us, all four of us are invited to go to this little think tank 
down the road. We'll, we'll go to Pittsburgh, for example, and we'll sit in the room and we'll say, hey, we know what our our, our customers' uh, biggest problem is. You know, it's trending, tech shortage. What are we going to do about it? Is there anything the supplier side could do to help to fix it, to smooth it? Well, we work with both tech schools. Our local both tech schools, uh, we, we try to support them as many ways as we can uh, with training. Uh, we offer free training. Our auto tech courses are offered free to them. Uh, we invite them to bring students sometimes. Uh, we've offered to do student training during the day. Um, I think the both tech schools is, is really, at least on our end, is, is the ground where these guys are going to come from for the future. And some of them are good and some aren't. And then we try to take care of the instructors as well. Yeah, I, I agree. Same thing in, in the vocational. I think it's more of an industry-wide, not just it comes from the suppliers, um, our OE suppliers down to manufacturing to us um, and in the repair facilities. We just all have to reach out, I think, and touch the vocational schools because that seems to be where the interest is of mechanical aptitude. A, a, a student is going in and want to be part of something that's automotive or repair or others. And, and that's just a good um, mm -hmm. character to start with. And then from there, we can all you know, show them yeah. our options in the automotive aftermarket. So I was going to add that I, I think, I think also young people need to be aware that there is a good living to be made in the automotive aftermarket. Uh, a good tech today can make significant money compared to what mechanics may have made in the past. It's no longer kind of the dirty, grimy, under the car kind of job. It's now a high tech job in a lot of cases. Um, and I think they need to recognize that it's, it's a career more so than it is a fallback that it may have been seen as years gone by. We got a great comment from James Presley, who's been on the show before. Um, thank you for offering the free training to instructors, Brad. It does two things. It helps them stay connected with the industry and they are ASE accredited and it helps them get uh, the required updated training. Um, it, that, that, I'm not sure there's enough suppliers opening up their training uh, for free. And and I know there isn't a manufacturer who wouldn't not say, hey, bring br bring them in. Now, when you say Votech training, Brad, and I don't mean to belabor this, but I think the, the supply area of our of our industry has so much to do with 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 the training element. Um, are you talking high school and college? High school. Ah, in this case, it's high school. That's great, though. See, that's really exciting to hear. Because, you know, uh, we've been doing a lot of discussion on the show that it starts in middle school and at the dinner table. If we're going to change the paradigm of, you know, that we're, we're, we've got this computer rolling on four tires today and, and, and the future of ATIS and the electric vehicles and all this technology that's being thrown in the automotive, that it should be an attractive job. But I'm not even sure our parents of these middle schoolers who have destined them to be doctors and lawyers and, right. you know, working for Microsoft and Google. Um, now, there's, there's still a stigma. And my wife is a school teacher and it's funny because the schools push going to college. And while there's absolutely nothing wrong with going to college, not every student is college material. Not to say that some technicians shouldn't have college degrees they may need to, but there are other avenues to take and, and vocation in the automotive aftermarket is certainly one of them. And I think there's a lot of kids that may be pushed into something they don't want to go towards because of their parents or even their schools. And I think we need to refocus that there are more things out there, whether it's plumbing, carpentry, automotive. Uh, it doesn't have to be a college education going towards some other vocation for everyone. Correct. Good point, Brett. What challenges are, are you guys having to keep delivery, you know, the investment of uh, drivers and, and equipment and logistics to satisfy the need of the part out there so fast? 
one issue that that we that we in our group of of uh, multiple locations we have one store manager in particular that has been with with us for many many years the customer the, the shops know him when, when they call in and he has tr- believe it or not trained his customers to let him know i need this part right away or i'm ordering this part the car's not coming in for until tomorrow he's done a masterful masterful job of quickly parsing through so we can still try to keep hot shot deliveries to everybody. But he's, it's just amazing when I, I, I sit back and, and watch him work and he has his customers trained, Chuck, I don't need it right away or Chuck, I'm really in a bind. I goofed up. I forgot to order these earlier today. So I think we, we, as a, we, as suppliers, I think as training our counter people to start asking those questions because not everything is a rush and, Quite honestly, training our customers, I think that that's a, not to keep on the training bandwagon, but training in a different way. That's communication. Communication. But I think today too, in our e-commerce platform, you may not get that communication. And I think a lot of folks Mm -hmm. are doing a high percentage of e-commerce. So you don't get that chance to interact with that on that counter folks. So I think it's just the consistency that we've all built. As we all know, delivery is very expensive in, in our Mm -hmm. models of business. Um, and we all face those challenges. So I think in what you talked about earlier in that next 10 year, what's it going to look like? We may have autonomous delivery vehicles that are put the thing in and go, or we may have drones drones that drops off into place. So I think it's, it's, it's scary, but exciting too in the next 10 years to see where that's going to go and just keeping it consistent. And that's, that's all we can do. Let's talk about this whole delivery thing. You know, Mark, I think you bring up a great point. One of the things on uh, AMN's survey was knowledgeable counter support. It was the fourth most important knowledgeable counter support. And you bring up a great point, Trevor, you know, we're, we're doing business with e-com. I'll bet you, you would tell me that your top 10 customers do 80% of their business with you on e-com. Um, and that's true today. So I think with that e-com platform is, is everybody's going to look at you for your price and availability to start. But when they have a question, and today still, that's why we, you know, employ the, the high um, counter staff that we've enjoyed for a long time, and they're very highly knowledgeable, because you have to have professional staff. That's what separates us from our competition, is our people, and our people create that trust. And those guys, when they have an issue, they want to call them and go, well, what's wrong with this thing? Not everything on a catalog is correct. You still got to go to paper at times, or you got to mm-hmm. dig into the issue, and you still need qualified staff to be able to handle that. And I think that's hugely important to all of our success. Brad, does your e-com system have a checkbox for, you know, got to have it now, okay in an hour, tomorrow? They, it doesn't have a checkbox, but they have the ability to type in messages, which most of them do. They'll type in need tomorrow, don't need today, order from warehouse. So they'll, they'll give us messages frequently that tell us what they really need. Um, other than that, we'll assume it's a, it's a hotshot type delivery. It'll go into the flow with the rest of our product deliveries. And because you have meetings with your uh, your top customers, you really say, "Listen, guys, you know, don't cry wolf all, all the time. You you oh, cannot yeah. live in a hotshot yeah. world, one hundred percent of the time. Give us that freedom, so that when you do have an emergency, we can be there for you." Yeah. Is that the dialogue? Yeah, and we really have very few customers who are the crying wolf type. We 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 all know who we have, and we all know who they are, but uh, we kind of treat them. I think the way you have to treat them, and that's kind of with a grain of salt. You know, you kind of work them into the delivery system with everyone else. But uh, the customers who you know and trust and have a good relationship with, we know what we have to do for delivery for those customers. They'll, they'll tell us. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Communications, um, partnership, 
um, intimacy of each other's business, a quality relationship with salespeople. Did I did I say training? <laughs> what are we missing here in this supplier loyalty discussion? Is there anything that we 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 fail to talk about? I think there's one issue. Just going back to my early start in this business, um, when I purchased my father and I purchased a bankrupt auto repair business. I was young. It was in the late nineties, right when the R12, R134 retrofitting was coming out, which was, which was a real education knowledge mess. Um, I went to my supplier and I said, I'm new. I'm green. I'm not, I don't know much about business. I'd like to work with you. You work with me. And I think if the, not, not only do suppliers, you know, we, we, I think, do our best to reach out. But I think as a, as a former shop owner, shop owners need to reach out to suppliers. And rather than jumping from supplier, rather from a, from a shop perspective, rather than going from supplier A to supplier B to save 50 cents, um, my meeting with that, with that uh, supplier helped put me on the right path to, to running a good business it turns out that he was my first call with everything, even if I did have to wait a little bit. And the the benefit of that to me was not only did I learn a lot, I went to a lot of his sponsored training, but my business and profit soared along with his. So it was a working partnership right from the get-go. That, that doesn't mean that we didn't have disagreements. That doesn't mean that I didn't call and complain when his delivery was maybe subpar on a day or two. But I think it, it's the speed of delivery. It's not all, it shouldn't all be put on our shoulders. I think the, the shops themselves need to be proactive um, and working together because my, my sales in a year and a half span went up 67% um, along with my profit margins because of the supplier and myself, shop owner and supplier worked as a team. We knew each other's strengths and weaknesses um, did I help him and suggest that he put some, put a salesman on the road to call on me weekly? Yes. That was something that, that we, as a team, me as a shop owner was begging the, the supplier for a full-time outside salesperson, which he eventually did. So we both grew. I think that there's a huge opportunity. Um, as I see so many shops that, that the shop is owned by a, maybe a technician who now has maybe some health issues. So now he's, he's come more working behind the counter, but he's never actually really run a business before. So I think there's opportunities on both sides. Great point. Guys, are you afraid of what's going to go on with consolidation in the industry? I shouldn't say the word afraid. I should say, are you concerned with consolidation at that level? In my, in my mind, it makes the bigger and better customers that we have stronger. Um, and the weaker ones that unfortunately will go away I don't think we'll miss them. And I've always said, you know, we have counter people. Like, oh my God, so-and-so is closing his shop. What are we going to do? Their customers don't leave the market. They go to other shops in the marketplace. So if a small, relatively bad, maybe not a good term, but relatively bad service station, garage goes out of business, the customers that he had stay in that marketplace. They're going to go to your customer if your customer is the stronger, better customer. So I, I don't really fear it. Um, I just see that as kind of maybe dealing with less customers on a service uh, level? I think it just depends too on who the consolidation is. I think there's some different relationships that have been built in our industry 
to where we as suppliers may be cut out. So I think that is a concern in the consolidation. It depends who is supplying them. Um, and no matter what market is, the pie is only so big to, to Brad's point that other vehicles will move to those other shops that, you know, are, are still in existence that may have gone away. Um, so do we lose sleep over it? I think we all think about it, you know, mm-hmm. quite often, but yeah, it's probably um, at two o'clock or in the morning. I would say as a, as a supplier or a shop owner, um, suppliers partner with a big name, whether it's federated, whether it's Napa. And I think on the, on the shop ownership side, they also need to partner with somebody, whether it's Napa Auto Care Center, Federated Car Care Center. I think once once you see those shops partnering with, with a name brand to grow their business, their chance of survival is has increased. Not guaranteed, but increased. Thanks, Mark. Um, a couple of questions as we kind of round out our, our hour here. Do you see a difference as suppliers between young shop owners and the older ready-to-retire shop owners as far as the relationship that you have? A lot of talk I, about that, and sometimes sometimes we get the indications that the younger guys are forming weaker bonds or no bonds with their suppliers like traditional parts stores, and I find that not to be true. Um, I think that on on the surface, we think they're they're more technologically savvy. They may be using computers more. They may be searching the internet more, but I think once they truly get into the business, I think they recognize that that local partnership is probably a more critical element than a partnership with a, a rock auto or an internet supplier. I, th- I think we're still going to get them to that same place, but they're young. And of course we're aging. So I, I think uh, we may feel slightly differently about it. The guys that have been around for 30 or 40 years, we're used to, we know what that relationship is, but I really think that the younger guys who are coming up. Uh, we're starting to see them strengthen their bonds with us as well over time. I would echo what, what Brad is saying. Um, I see that the younger shop owners are much more eager to ask for help and strengthen the strengthen the bond with a supplier or two and not be as aggressive with using a rock auto or using things from buying things from Amazon local because they realize that's a pretty technical uh, industry. Yeah. And I would, I would agree with both Brad and Mark is that the younger um, are a little more tech savvy and, and you might be uh, minimized a few times, but at the end of the day, they are choosing their one or two suppliers in the area to purchase their uh, supply from. And then the older generation is still less maybe tech savvy because they're still used to that phone call to where they want to talk to that counter professional. Um, and then the generation in the middle, I don't remember if that's Gen Y or X, but it's kind of a blend of two. So it is kind of an interesting time with the shop owner. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, it still boils down to our our trust and our service and, and uh, them talking to you. So. In, in the chat box, guys, Vic Tarasic says younger shop uh, our owners are more teachable than the more seasoned. And you know what I took about what I took away from what you just said is this: it's your job to show the younger guys who have when, when they were fixing cars and going to school and trade school, they had a relationship with a parts store. Could have been yours, or it could have been. Uh, other ones that were easy to do business with are on every street corner. And they have no idea what that commercial relationship is like. And it's really the traditional side of the business, the distribution jobber side, to go out and hand handhold the value of that relationship. And interesting, interesting, Carm, when you talk about the relationship and the younger people, the Votech schools is where we start to get our foot in the door with them. Well, that's good. Because we, we, we connect up with those kids at a young age and 
Oh, darn, Lost Brad. Brad. We lost oh, you again. That was a good point, too. Bro. Right in the middle of a good point. Uh, right in the middle. It was, it was fabulous. And, and, and yeah. I hear what he's saying. And, and I guess the message to all the suppliers that are listening, if you're not involved in either high school or at the college level in, in, in working with the college, you're going to be you're, you're, you're going to be a non-existent supply partner when they get out. Agreed. 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 Yeah. And I think we're all doing that today. And, and, and Brad is correct. Even if, if Carm, you had a good point earlier, you know, we're all touching the high school today. We're all touching the college Votech, but maybe to get into the junior high as, as something might be the next step. Well, the junior uh, high is about career days. It's about getting in front of the PTA. I think, I think that's a great groundswell to think about is, is what we need to do. Not only the service professionals engagement and involvement. In fact, let me throw this challenge out to the industry, you know, because these ideas come to me all the time because my guests always inspire me. Why aren't you and the service professionals walking down the aisle together with vocational, both high school and college? In fact, you almost need to do this. In fact, here's what I'm getting ready to do. I've just made a presentation to a bunch of independents and say, I'm going to pick a date in January and I'm going to get 20 independents to come in to speak to the department chair of of our vocational college and sit in the room and say, what can we help you with? And the, the department chair is all excited about it. Um, because the dealerships are mostly at that high level of engagement and the independents have not woken up to that fact yet. They're complaining a lot about getting people, but they're not doing anything about it. So independent shop owners needs to, needs to, you, you need to bring them across that, if you will, that, that walk them down the aisle, take them to the altar. And that's my challenge to the supply side industry. I mean, you need to help us fix the problem as an t- entire industry for, for getting kids to start in middle school. And, you know, and, and, and by the way, as you work at the high school level, all of a sudden somebody's going to say, hey, can you come over and talk to the junior high? I mean, it's going to happen. And, 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 and so we need to do that. Uh, wow, how cool. Any final words? Thank you. Yeah, thank Appreciate you for the opportunity. It's great. Nice to meet you guys. Carm, thank you as well, and thank you to, to Brad and Trevor as well. It was good, great discussions. No, I Excellent. thank you. Yeah, thank you for the thank yous, but I thank you for being here because we couldn't. Have, it would have been terrible for me to just be on here talking all by myself. So, thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the Premier Automotive Aftermarket Podcast. Until next time.